I want to say that our thought life, our wants and desires, and yes, even the devil may lead us by way of temptation into places we would not otherwise go, like to the cupcakes. I saw that happen in real time. <laughs> but even if you find yourself there, it doesn't mean you have to stay and do what you are tempted to do. Right? I want everyone to say, I have a free will. I will exercise it. All right, there you go. Deliverance 101. All right? You got more power than you think you got, right? God always provides a way out. Fight the good fight and hang on to this scripture, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So Lord, we ask for your wisdom today. Your divine grace and mercy and your loving kindness towards us. Would you shower us with that as we open up our minds and our hearts to hear your word today. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I want to read this scripture as a kind of a launch pad, both forward and reflecting back again. Uh, Revelation 5.13, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. 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 So who are they talking about? Jesus. Only one person knows who are they talking about. Jesus. A couple of you know. Who are they talking about? Jesus. Wow. Jesus glorified, right? King of kings, Lord of lords. Risen Christ. If you remember, we're looking at spiritual warfare based on the three temptations of Jesus. Jesus, the same Jesus they're talking about in Revelation, was tempted just like you and I are tempted and yet was without sin. Last time we talked about appetites. After 40 days in the wilderness, no food, no water, being tempted by the devil, and he was hungry. He had an appetite. Jesus had a human appetite. We know a particular female theologian who would ask a very poignant question right now that, <laughs> that I won't ask. Jesus had appetites just like we, and he was tempted in those appetites just like 
weak, and yet he never sinned. Today we're going to look at battleground number two, which I call political, power and glory. We're going to take it from Luke 4, verses 5 through 8. And the devil took him up. The devil took who up? Jesus, right? This just blows my mind. Every time I read through these scriptures, what the devil took him up. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be all yours. Wow. That's a pretty big temptation, huh? Hmm? Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So what I'm talking about here is personal politics. Personal politics. It has nothing to do at all with whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. Uh, it has everything to do with the control or influence you hold over uh, any other individual or group of individuals and the glory or sense of ascendancy you feel by dictating that control. Hmm? All worldly systems of political power have arisen out of the aspirations of some individual to gain power, control, and wealth, or just to be king of the mountain. How many remember playing that when you were a kid, right? Well, you really fight hard to be king of the mountain. Why? You want to be the top guy, right? That's a political system. Seriously. To feel important. Starting with Cain and how the scriptures say that his offering was rejected by God while his brother's was accepted. So in a jealous rage, he kills his brother. Cast out by God, he goes to the land of Nod and does what? He starts a political system, a city, the first basic political structure. Genesis 4.16, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. So you've got Cain, you've got Nimrod, you've got Nebuchadnezzar, Caesar, Attila the Hun, Genghis Khan, Hitler, Stalin, Saddam Hussein, or countless other tyrants over nations or over wives or over children. This kind of dominating power comes from one source. He said to him, to you I will give all authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. Husbands, fathers, you are not entitled by the scriptures to dominate your wife or family through hot anger or rage, intimidation or abuse. Wives, you don't get out of it. Mothers, you are not empowered by God 
to control your husband or children through cold emotional manipulation or blackmail, fits of anger, or threats of leaving. This is political stuff. Personal political. Personal politics. Children. Uh, uh, what's the first kid word a kid usually learns? No. No, right? <laughs> you cannot heal the feelings inside yourself by disconnecting through acts of rebellion or disregard and hatred for your parents or those in authority over your lives. Any and all sense of enablement, power, ascendancy, justification, or entitlement in any of these areas comes from one source and one source alone, and he clearly states, I give it to whomever I will. If you need power, if you need liberty, if you need to feel real, valuable or understood, the kingdom of God has given you the legitimate means to a legitimate end. Romans 5, 2. Through him, that is Jesus, through him we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Right? What do these kingdoms offer to Jesus? Glory. You stand in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, don't you think that Jesus, when he came in the flesh, could have built a political kingdom? I think, I think he could have. I think he could have had powered up any time he wanted to. Listen to what he tells Pilate, the Roman governor. In John 18, 36, Jesus answered him, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. There's another system available. Could he have backed that up? Matthew 26, 52, he says this, and Jesus said to him, put your sword back, he's talking to Peter, put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. So he's saying, that's not the system I use. That's what the world would do. That's what Rome has done. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Yow. So anyone know what a legion is? Five thousand. So that's 60,000 angels. Can you imagine if he chose to do that? Hey, Dad? Dad? Right? Whoa. Yo. 
But his kingdom is not of this world. It does not function as the kingdoms of this world function. He is the mightiest kingdom in existence. With more power, more might, more potential for destructive force than any kingdom the world has ever known. A king so awesome in his glory that when he finally reveals himself in his full splendor, there will only be one option for response. Philippians 2.10 So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. End of story, folks. And yet the kingdom of God's first expression is always one of love, mercy, or grace. Certainly there was plenty of scriptural references concerning the Messiah's political kingdom in the Old Testament, so much so that the Jews missed what God was actually building a spiritual kingdom, a kingdom diametrically opposed to the kingdoms of this world, a kingdom that would, in fact, do as the pagans in Thessalonica in Acts 17 feared, those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. So Jesus sets the kingdom guidelines up against our own personal political propensities. Luke twenty-two, twenty-four, A dispute arose among them. These are Jesus' followers. This is the church, the early church. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. So what is that? That's political, personal politics. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to get the best seat? Who's going to be king of the hill? They're standing in the presence of the king of the universe trying to find out who's going to be king of the hill. What's wrong with this picture? Jesus says to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. I think Martha gave us a fine example of that this morning. She introduced that little girl coming in right off the streets and worshiping the Lord the way she did. How wonderful is that? Should we all be like that? Yeah, I think so. So Jesus not only talks about it, he also uh, demonstrates this. He has this awesome example of Jesus' style of spiritual warfare, right? John 13, 2. During supper, which supper is this? The last supper, right? I think about this. This is the Last Supper, this is the day uh, before he knows he's going to be crucified. This is the introduction of the new and everlasting covenant. This is the, the most important moment in his life. 
During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. When did that happen? During communion. During communion. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he comes from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on the outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So, before I continue with the reading, I want you to just uh, ask yourself, is there somebody I've got something against? Somebody that I hear their name and I cringe or I just don't like them? So Judas was that to Jesus. But you'd never know it through Jesus. Because Jesus served him communion. And Jesus washed his feet. What are you doing with that individual who you're having a hard time with? Because this is spiritual warfare. It's not about flesh and blood. It's about powers and principalities. It wasn't about Judas sitting there eating and drinking and getting his feet dried off. It was about what was going on in Judas's heart that nobody except Jesus could see. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you know this, it's not enough. Did we hear that earlier? Somewhere, right? It's not enough to just know it, right? You have to put feet on it. You have to put the rubber to the road. You have to take an action. You have to strip down and wrap yourself in a towel, get on your knees and wash their feet and bless their lives with bread and wine. Invite them to your table. Mm -hmm. 
Blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread, he who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. He knew this. He knew this as he reached for the bread to give to Judas. He knew he was fulfilling his own betrayal. And he still ministered to him. He still washed his feet. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, (laughs) wow, did you catch that? I'm telling you this so when this happens, you can take care of this rat over here who's going to betray me, right? I'm letting you know Judas is the guy. He's going to do this, so you take care of him when I'm in the tomb for those three days. You take care of this joker for me. was not his focus at all, was it? I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. You may look at what you become aware of and see the way I acted and know that the Father's heart was fully represented in your presence tonight. And you'll know who I am by the love that I gave to this man who betrayed me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After these sayings, Jesus was troubled in his spirit, you think? And testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table close to Jesus. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. He's still feeding. Judas. He's still ministering to Judas. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Wow. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. It suddenly got very dark. But Jesus was willing to break bread with Judas and to wash his feet, knowing full well what was at work in Judas' heart. I believe that Jesus was fighting a spiritual battle for Judas' soul. 
offering every opportunity possible for Judas to choose an alternative to what was going on in his heart and mind. Don't forget where we started out with this whole thing. There's no temptation that God will not provide a way out. And Jesus kept offering a way out. Break bread with me, brother. Let me wash your feet. Here, eat this. Get up close to me. You know, if, if you saw the way they ate, they'd be on a low incline, leaning up against each other. And the picture, if you could see it, is that John would be leaning in against Jesus from his right side. So he'd be leaning up against Jesus' chest. But Judas is on his left side. So that means Jesus is leaning in and laying his head on Judas's chest. Feeding him, nurturing him, offering him opportunity of deliverance from the temptation at work in his heart. Offering every opportunity possible for Judas to choose an alternative to what was going on in his heart and mind. But please notice that at a point in time, Jesus releases Judas to do what he is going to do as a free man with a free will. Free will is a double-edged sword, isn't it? Listen. You can eat all the bread and drink all the grape juice you want, but until you are in Christ to the same degree that Christ is in you, and that is with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you're just filling your belly. You can offer yourself to an individual who is caught up in deception or evil activities with the hope and goal of their repentance and redemption, but if they refuse... You are not obligated to serve them in things that are sacred or to expose yourself to them in any way that would make you subservient to the evil. Cast not your pearl before swine. Far too often we lose sight of wisdom and allow a sense of guilt disguised as compassion to turn us from being the healers Christ called us to be into being enablers trying to rescue a Judas whose only goal is to betray, God, betray God's ideals for their own ideas and feelings. As wrong and as dangerous as it is to be in bondage to a dominance of a strong and forceful personality type, it is just as bad to live under the tyranny of the weak and the willfulness of the broken. It needs to become, their needs become their weapon and means of feeling connected, cared for, or acknowledged, and they will drain the life out of you as you try to heal in them what they hold as their best means of attaining what they feel they need. Warfare. Warfare. Real kingdom spiritual warfare requires wisdom and discernment of spirits as well as the courage to walk in the truth. In warfare, sometimes you charge. Sometimes you duck. 
And sometimes you just stand your ground. I just pray we never retreat. So what is your personal political structure? This is a vital question to answer because at its very core, political control is about worship. Luke 4, 6 through 7, he said to him, To you will I give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me. You don't have to put your hand up or respond to this other than internally. But how many of you have a broken loved one, whether they're drug addicted, emotionally distraught, and they just hold emotional sway over your life? And you continue to enable and to enable and to enable them to continue to be lost in their stuff. It's a form of worship. If you dedicate your life to their brokenness, you're giving affection to the wrong Lord. Worship has two sides to it, giving and getting. Every personal political structure is built on the need for one or both aspects of this dynamic, either giving worship or getting worship. Here's an example from the scripture in Daniel 2.31. This is uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and he's... uh, told it to Daniel, and Daniel gets an interpretation from the Lord for the king. He says, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, And it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chafe of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and all these these things that Satan promised to Jesus, and into whose hands he has given wherever they dwell the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, making you rule over them. You are the head of gold. You are the head of gold. That's a pretty powerful dream. 
So whose authority is this king under, according to Daniel's interpretation? The God of heaven, right? The God of heaven has given the kingdom the power. The God of heaven. So here's Nebuchadnezzar's response to Daniel's uh, interpretation. In Daniel 3, 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. Now, not just a gold head. Gold from top to bottom. See, because he heard the interpretation. And according to the interpretation, because the feet were clay and iron, they were weak. So, he made it all of gold. Right? Are we always trying to get our way around God's best. Tower of Babel did that. Well, let's build a tower all the way up to heaven so if he floods the earth again, we'll be safe up here. Right? Always trying to trick God, right? Tight was 60 cubits, its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dora in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image of King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So what did he call to this statue? His political system. His full political system. And so the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, treasurers, justices, magistrates, and all the officials of the province gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that when you hear, hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lair, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So who did Nebuchadnezzar's authority, do you think he thought he was under? No one's, right? No one's. The king's personal politics were self-centered with a strong need and desire to be worshipped even at the cost of of someone else's life. Daniel 3.6, And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Not too many options available. So here's another example of personal political structure. This is a centurion in Matthew 8. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled, and he said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and the west and recline at table with 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Notice that the great faith that Jesus marveled at is directly related to inclusion in the kingdom of heaven. By faith, by faith, you are saved. By faith, you are to say that. By faith, I am saved. Mm -hmm. Not by a sinner's prayer. By faith, you are saved. The prayer must legitimately be the heartfelt expression of faith. The personal politics of the kingdom of God are based on power through submission and servanthood. Power through submission and servanthood. My kingdom is not of this world. The centurion was an aggressive man of warfare, and he was a powerful man politically, wielding authority over the lives of many people, some of whom were as aggressive as he was. But he was not powerful because he was aggressive. He was powerful because he was submitted. In every army, every kingdom, there is a chain of command. Break the chain and you lose your authority to command others. Listen carefully to me. There is no room in the kingdom or in kingdom politics for the Lone Ranger. If you think you can do spiritual warfare alone, you're sadly and tragically mistaken. Proverbs 14, 28, it says this, In a multitude of people is the glory of a king. Say that again. In a multitude of people is the glory of the king. Right? What did Satan offer to Jesus? Glory. And power, right? In a multitude of people is the glory of the king. In this room is the glory of Jesus Christ. Where more, two or more have gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of you. When he comes, his glory is inherent. Sitting at home, watching a television evangelist, As we work and build and war together, God the King is honored. But if we isolate ourselves from one another, thinking we can go it alone, we assure our own failure. I did it my way may have been a hit song for Frank Sinatra, but it is not the anthem of the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 12, 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. We've felt that this year, haven't we? Over and over again, we've felt that this year. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We saw that this morning with David. It was so, such a blessing. Now you are the body of Christ 
and individual, individually members of it. Who are you connected to? Who are you submitted to? Every time we step out on our own, trying to build our own thing, keep our own agenda, or just do things the way we want, that's a big one. We rob God of honor. And you know what? Every time we rob God of honor, the devil rejoices. Let me ask you something. Would you rather be admired by men or anointed by God? I'm going to ask you again. I'm going to ask you to think about that. Would you rather be admired by men or anointed by God? Think about the way you're living your life. Jesus said of the scribes and Pharisees who made open displays of the deeds that they had received their reward already. You see, it's not a sin to be admired. It's just a paid in full stamp. That's what you get. Hmm? They had received their reward already, but in so doing, they had lost heavenly treasure. The old scale thing. Kingdoms with all their power and glory rightfully belong to God. And one day, he will reclaim them all. Today, I'm going to ask you to surrender your personal kingdom to God. I want to challenge you to change your political affiliation and abandon yourself to the kingdom of God. Three weeks ago when I started this um, series, I think it was the day before, right? You called me. Uh, Josiah was here cleaning the church, and he called me. He said, uh, some woman was just here uh, looking for you. She's just really demonized. I mean, she's in terrible condition. She needs deliverance. She said that you knew her from a long time ago, and her name is blah, blah, blah. So here's her phone number. So I call her, and uh, she tells me her whole story, and I don't remember her from Adam. I know this is going back 20 years. You delivered deliverance to me 20 years ago. I really need some help. I said, well, it's Saturday night. It's 9 o'clock at night. Come to church tomorrow. Connect with Jesus. Worship. See what happens. You know, we'll go from there. Okay. So, of course, she doesn't show up on Sunday. But sitting down to supper on Monday night, ring, ring, ring. I can't take it anymore. I can't take it. They're distorting my, my flesh. These things are pushing out from under my skin. I need deliverance. So, what's going on in the church? Prayer night. Oh, Perfect. Hey, Winston, <laughs> meet me at the church, right? So I come to the church, 7 o'clock, come to the church. All right, I'll be there. So Winston comes, and prayer group sets up down there, and we set up up here. And uh, she was right. These things were pushing out, deforming her body, weren't 
pretty bizarre. Would you say, Winston? Pretty bizarre. But I, I have to say, we, we ministered, delivered for an hour and a half. Very, very intense. And uh, so much so that we would have to give her respites in between and just uh, wash her face with cold towels. And uh, she hadn't eaten in three or four days. Winston made her soup. I mean, just not only ministering up against the demonic, but loving her, loving her. And I kept crying all during this deliverance. And this was new for me because usually I'm very aggressive in deliverance ministry. But all of a sudden, the Lord let me see what he was seeing, how the enemy was just mutilating her, her humanity. Yo, I just, this, this woman had spit her teeth out on the rug. She was vomiting in a bucket. She was sweating and, and contorting. And, and all I could feel was the love and compassion of Jesus Christ. Look at what the enemy has done to this poor girl. Finally, I asked her, did you do something to get yourself in this stage? Oh, yeah. What did you do? She told me, and in her telling me, she revealed the names of the demonic entities. She gave us focus, and we broke their stronghold. And I said, listen, I'm going to do something. I'm going to ask you, is there, if there was any place in the world where you could spend a little bit of time with Jesus, where would that be? And she said, oh, I know right where it would be, this, this awesome beach I know at sunset. I said, I want you to go there in your mind. Tell me when you're there. So she said, oh, yeah, I'm there. It's so beautiful. I said, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask Jesus to come. And you tell me when he shows up. And uh, so she's sitting there. All of a sudden, she face brightens up, big smile. She says, he's here. I said, on the beach? She said, no, right there. He's right there in this room. He's standing there looking at me, loving me. And I said, then give him the burden that you're carrying. Ask him to take it off your shoulders. Ask him to deliver you. And he did. He swept through. It was so beautiful. Wasn't that beautiful? You know? And she got set free. She got set free. You know, she showed up the next week at the food pantry. She like bombed in and She's stepping through the door, and she sees some woman trying to pick up her boxes. Oh, let me get that for you. I'll take it out to your car. And, and she's just full of joy in life and wanting to serve. Because okay. that's what happens when Jesus sets you free. Right? Your politics change. Every week, we give an altar call. How many of you do not respond? That's a good question. <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> do you think any different this week than you did last week? Do you act any different this week than you did last week or the week before? You can listen to me talk until the kingdom comes, but my words won't change you. 
It's just information. The reason for the altar call is so you can offer yourself to the Holy Spirit to do the inner work of the kingdom that we are talking about and that we all need. You see, I can't make my words powerful. He can. If you just want to come and listen, then just come and listen. But if you want to change, if you want to be different exiting than you were entering, this is the moment because it's out of my hands and in his hands. So I'm just going to ask, come, Holy Spirit. We invite you to come. And all that we've talked about and all of the systems and politics that we live, sometimes unbeknownst, Lord, with loved ones, with family, with friends, with workmates and uh, all our interactions, Lord, where we jump right over the kingdom because it's the way we want to do it. It's the way we've always done it. it what, whatever the reason, Lord, we need change. We need your freedom. We need your liberty. We need your deliverance, oh God. We need power over sin and temptation. So won't you come, Holy Spirit, and just begin to minister your glory because we have gathered here as a multitude of people to worship King Jesus. I think the Holy Spirit wants to do some business this morning. So I'm just going to invite you to come up in this carpeted area. Think about it as the altar before the Lord. I want to invite you to come up and do business, you and him. See, all that I did for that girl on that Monday night, it wasn't until Jesus showed up, stood on that carpet, and addressed her one-on-one that she was free. He's got room up here for you today. He's got space in his heart for you today. Just come up and make your way up here and do business with God. Do business with the Holy Spirit. Lay down your political systems. Lay down your fears. Come to Jesus. or not, the choice is yours. But whatever you do, do it quickly.